Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us to kick off your week. Hope you had a good weekend. Weather has been a challenge for a lot of farmers trying to get the harvest going in their areas, and we'll talk about that a little bit later with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson to see what this week ahead looks like. Tom Slate, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, will join us in a bit. He's uh, just back from Asia. We'll find out, though, what he's been doing as far as talking with our customers around the world and talk about some trade issues. We're going to talk about the uh, imitation meat, fake meat, lab meat, whatever you want to call it, that issue with Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association a little later on in the program as well. So we have a busy show to kick off the week, but very happy to start things off with uh, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Senator, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you very much for what you do for American agriculture by educating the 98% of the people that aren't farmers that food grows in on farms, not in supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, last week, big announcement by the administration uh, that uh, they're going to start the process to allow E15 sales year-round. I know you're happy about this, but uh, we keep reminding folks it's it's the start of a process. That ban's not been lifted yet. There's still things to be done. Uh, it takes about 90 days, I think, t- for the public to comment. So anybody that likes it or doesn't like it can, uh, by email, uh, make make a comment to EPA. I don't know exactly what the uh, email site is, but uh, you can get it someplace. But uh, they welcome both pro and con uh, opinions on it. Then they have to review those opinions. And they can change it a little bit according to what people suggest to them, or they can leave it exactly the same, or they don't even have to go ahead. But in this instance, I doubt if it will be changed much, and it will go ahead. And so the idea is to get this uh, in place in plenty of time so that we don't have to shut off E15 sales during the months of June, July, August, up to September 15th. So E15, 12 months out of the year will be a big boost for ethanol from the standpoint that uh, even though there's a few uh, filling stations that sell it now, most filling stations don't want to invest uh, the money that it takes uh, to have an E15 pump and, uh, and only sell eight months out of the year. So this should improve capital investment and in turn help the price of corn, uh, help to maintain the jobs, uh, 43,000 jobs in Iowa that are in ethanol plants, and obviously it's good for the environment. And hopefully, as you say, it can be done by next summer. What are your thoughts uh, on the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, trade agreement, and what do you see as the challenges of getting it passed in Congress? Well, now that all three countries are together in the same agreement going before Congress, uh, it eliminates uh, one of the big obstacles to getting just a U.S.-Mexican agreement through because a lot of people, including Republicans, said that it should still be North America. Uh, we don't have NAFTA in our vocabulary anymore. It's called USMCA, and, uh, and I think it will be approved. Uh, if, uh, if Republicans continue to control Congress, it could go into next year. If Republicans would lose the House of Representatives, it might be necessary to do it before uh, Christmas. 
there's been a lot of talk about the need to get the labor unions behind it to, to assure passage. Do you agree with that? Well, absolutely, because it, uh, it's going to take Democrat votes to get it through, uh, and uh, it, it won't take a majority of the Democrats, but it'll take a lot of Democrat votes. Now, I would think that uh, the unions would be very happy with it, particularly the UAW, and they would encourage their members to uh, vote for it, because, see, uh, one of the big uh, issues won by the unions uh, was that uh, uh, uh I think 50% of a car's uh, components have to be uh, manufactured by people that make at least $16 an hour. That's compared to $3 an hour for the average Mexican to make. So that ought to help uh, help I- increase the wages of the workers and uh, make sure that more parts are made in North America than being made, let's say, in China or someplace else. Then, and by the way, that helps Iowa a lot because we, we don't have car manufacturing in Iowa, but we have a lot of car parts manufactured by small manufacturers in Iowa. Then the second thing that's very important is under NAFTA, it only had to be 62% of the cars had domestic content. It'll be up to 75% now. So that's going to help manufacturing in North America. Talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. All right, now that you've had a chance to uh, reflect back on the, what you went through for the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, what are your thoughts on, on what took place and what it says about our, our country, where we're at right now, and, uh, and our political system? Well, first of all, it proves that the president nominated somebody with impeccable uh, credentials, both academic and serving as a judge, 12 years on the D.C. Circuit, because for the first month of his nomination, uh, it was it was about how he might vote as a justice of the Supreme Court. They thought maybe they could, uh, the opposition thought maybe they could catch him up short uh, on some uh, various issues that might eventually come before the court and stop him that way. But he was so uh, so precise in his uh, statements to the questions of the members of the committee that they couldn't catch him up on anything with these qualifications or academic background. So then they started attacking him personally. And I don't have to go through all the attacks on him personally. Uh, and eventually we had to have the FBI look into it again. Even after that, there wasn't anything changed. So he eventually got on the Supreme Court. But it just tells you that uh, how, how academically and professionally uh, uh, charged he is, that nobody can touch him. So they had to do ad hominem-type attacks, and it didn't work in the end. So now he's on the court, uh, uh, and you turn your attention to what for the rest of the year? Still got a farm bill to get done. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether it will be done. It's obviously not going to be done before the election. If it will be done in November, December, it's going to be dependent upon whether or not the House of Representatives backs off on work requirements for food stamp recipients, because uh, we can't get 60 votes in the United States Senate for that. I happen to think it's good policy, but I want a farm bill. And if, if we uh, want a farm bill, we're not going to be able to have work requirements uh, for people on food stamps. 
And so then uh, uh, if we don't get that done uh, by uh, adjournment for Christmas, we'll have to extend the 2014 Farm Bill for one more year. Senator, we're out of time. Thank you very much for all you do, and we appreciate you being with us. Okay, goodbye. Take care. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Wow, he was uh, right at the forefront of the uh, Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, and uh, what a process that was. Always good to have the senator with us for a Washington update. What about an update on what's happening with imitation meat or fake meat, whatever you want to call it? It's a big issue for the livestock industry, that's for sure. We're going to talk with the Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle Beck joins us next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit FDA.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem seek answers when there is doubt give hope not tomorrow not in a few years but right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your planned purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. 
information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Well, there's a lot going on, a lot of different angles to this story on whether you call it fake meat, imitation meat, lab meat, whatever it may be. But as that product continues to uh, develop and uh, move closer to becoming more and more available to consumers, there are a lot of issues, including uh, what agency has oversight of that product. We're going to talk about all that now with Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, thank you for being with us. Uh, Since we talked last a few weeks ago, what's the very latest on this story? Mike, thanks so much for having me. Uh, At this point in time, we at NCBA, we're gearing up for next week uh, when USDA and FDA will hold a joint meeting uh, for the public to talk about some of these issues relative to, you know, lab-grown fake meat products. Uh, The first day will focus on some of the safety uh, risks and hazards facing these products, and then there'll be an entire day following uh, dedicated to appropriate labeling and nomenclature. So it's going to be a joint USDA-FDA meeting. I mean, we still don't know who really has jurisdiction here, or do we know and what would like it changed? Well, ultimately, uh, it depends on your interpretation of the law. We at NCBA, we believe that a fair reading of the Federal Meat Inspection Act, uh, these products would fall under either the definition of a, a meat food product or a meat byproduct, and therefore USDA would be the appropriate regulator. Uh, last summer, or this past summer, FDA put out their public announcement uh, for their own public meeting, citing that they should be the preeminent regulators under this broad definition of food. Uh, what we saw at that public meeting was a blatant display of, uh, you know, an activist bias. They talked about uh, consumers who were motivated by animal welfare concerns and the economic incentives of switching over to this protect production technology uh, being, you know, environmental sustainability. Those societal concepts uh, really have no place when it comes to food regulations, but they're two great examples of why FDA shouldn't be allowed to be the primary regulator. Uh, and right now, you know, USDA and FDA, we're hoping that this is a fresh start for the agencies to um, begin these talks again. It's not to say that FDA shouldn't have a role. It doesn't necessarily need to be a binary choice, uh, but USDA needs to be the leader in the conversation. There are the adults in the room. Uh, they've demonstrated that they can handle these products in a way that maintains an even playing field because ultimately uh, that's what's going to be most important moving forward. As we've talked about before, this issue is similar in many ways to the ongoing issue over the labeling of imitation milk and dairy products. It is, uh, and we can actually learn quite a bit from the dairy industry's struggles. Uh, the first time that they sent a letter to FDA requesting they take action on soy and almond milk was in February of 2000. It took 18 years, uh, just a few months ago, for FDA to recognize something that we all know uh, very well, and that's that almonds don't lactate. Uh, but even before that, I think in the, the late 70s, National Milk actually sued FDA uh, over standards of identity relative to cheese products. FDA uh, really turns a blind eye to the law when it when it comes to appropriate product labeling. Uh, it's imperative that consumers know exactly what it is that they're buying when it comes to these lab-grown meat products. They deserve to have you know, enough information to make informed decisions. Uh, and I, I don't think up until this point uh, FDA has demonstrated that that's something they're willing to prioritize. Yeah, we should point out they are starting to take some steps now, but it's been, as you point out, a long time coming. Uh, and, you know, this is an entirely new product. We we can talk about how plant-based 
you know, imitation meat products are uh, new ones are coming onto the market, and their labeling and marketing is probably increasingly deceptive. But lab-grown products have yet to hit the market, and so we have an opportunity here to make sure that we get it right from day one. Uh, that all the current market in which our products compete is preserved, uh, and that that fairness is there um, moving forward for all innovative products that come to the market. We're talking with Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, uh, how far away are we from those products being on the market? Well, it depends on who you talk to, Mike. Uh, Some of the purveyors of these products, they indicate that they're ready to come to commercialization now or will be within the next year. Uh, some of the other purveyors, uh, depending upon where they are in their production process in the R&D stages, uh, they'll tell you that they've got probably another five years out before they're ready to look at commercial scalability. So, it, it, you know, it really depends. It varies from company to company. But there are several leaders in that industry uh, who I, I think are just ultimately waiting on a regulatory framework. And this uncertainty is delaying their progress pretty significantly. And to be and to be clear, uh, NCBA's position is you're not saying that those products should never come to market, but what you're saying is should have proper oversight and it needs to be, uh, uh, you know, the, have the same rules, right? I mean, uh, that uh, everybody else plays by in this. That is exactly right, Mike. We, we're not saying they should never come to the market. We've always been glad to compete for the center of the plate with every other protein out there. You know, we'll be glad to compete against these products when they make it to the market. Uh, but ultimately, we need a system that ensures that all meat and poultry products are held to the same rigorous standards for food safety. It's really important for consumer safety that, you know, there are the appropriate food safety mechanisms in place. Uh, and the labeling standards. You know, if these products want to call themselves meat, um, it, you know, I think they need to be evaluated and vetted by, you know, an independent scientific body. But if they want to compete on the same playing field for the same market share uh, as quote-unquote meat products, uh, they should be held to that, that same set of standards and play by the same rules. And anything else is, or anything less would be a great disservice to both consumers and producers alike. So you've got this meeting next week, USDA, FDA, uh, what is the timeline after that? Well, uh, you know, that's a great question. It sort of depends. Uh, hopefully USDA will choose to uh, move forward on some sort of rulemaking and public comment period. Uh, it's likely that there will have to be several different rulemakings and, uh, you know, public comments because there are various aspects that will need to be considered, each of which are very different. Uh, you know, in addition to that, there's also language that was included in the FY19 House Agriculture Appropriations Bill. Uh, right now, Congress has passed a continuing resolution through December 7th. Uh, but ultimately, you know, depending upon what the year-long funding resolution uh, or funding package is that gets enacted, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, one does get enacted, uh, there could be language uh, included in that that could decide this issue once and for all, and then we may see an even swifter process from there. Um, so, you know, in the meantime, uh, NCBA is advocating for language in the House bill to be maintained in that year-long Omni. Danielle, other than the issue of oversight, which and you prefer USDA over FDA, as you mentioned, um, and the rules being the same, is there anything that you would seek as far as labeling of these products? You know, an appropriate descriptive term for these products uh, will need to be decided upon. Uh, you know, 
the purveyors of these products are looking for ways to differentiate themselves from traditional products. And it's really important that ultimately they're able to differentiate them in a meaningful way without disparaging one product over another. Uh, we haven't taken a, a policy as ter in terms of what those products should be called. What we're focused on is, you know, protecting the term beef. Uh, our producers are, are proud of the products that they work hard each and every day to produce. Um, you know, and, and our producers across the country all feel the same about that. So we're going to fight hard to protect that term beef uh, for traditionally produced uh, or traditional producers. Uh, and, you know, depending upon what it is that the purveyors of lab-grown products come up with, uh, hopefully we can work with them in that regard as well. Which brings us back to the comparison to the dairy situation. Uh, the, the issue there for the dairy industry has not been that those products shouldn't be on the market, but that, but that they should not be able to uh, really sell off of or trade off of the, uh, the name dairy or milk and the, uh, the, the benefits that dairy and milk have provided traditionally. Uh, these products shouldn't be able to play off of that or use that, uh, those names, just like you're saying you want to protect beef uh, in, in any labeling of this new product. That's absolutely right. And, you know, it's unfortunate for the dairy industry because all dairy products technically fall uh, to the Food and Drug Administration under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. And the way that the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act is structured, it's fundamentally different than the Federal Meat Inspection Act and the Poultry Products Inspection Act when it comes to labeling. Uh, FDA doesn't pre-approve labels. It's incumbent upon them to take enforcement action when a product is in violation of the law or their labeling is in violation of the law after they've already entered the market. Uh, whereas the USDA's Food Safety Inspection Service, uh, they have to review every single label and approve it. It's a mandatory process before a product can legally enter the market. And so they prevent uh, a lot of those issues that we see with FDA-regulated products from happening. Really is an important issue, and you don't want to get behind, like the dairy situation, where years and years later, FDA finally says, well, okay, we need to do something about that, which should have been done many years ago. So you're being proactive on this. All right, Danielle, thank you very much. We'll look forward to hearing more as this develops. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, up next, Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. We're going to talk trade. He's been in Asia talking with some of our trading partners. We'll find out what he's heard. Also, there's a big uh, export exchange coming up next week in Minneapolis. The Renewable Fuels Association, Growth Energy, and U.S. Grains Council put this on. We'll be talking about that as well. So stay with us on AOA Adams on agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. In the Grenon oil seed sector, we had a defensive tone in the overnight trade, but early Monday activity positive in soybean futures. We are firm in corn, a narrow mix in the wheats. Brazil's farmers, as of October 11th, Finished planting soybeans on 20% of the area expected to be seeded to the crop. That according to agricultural consultancy Ag Rural. That's ahead of the previous record of 18% finished on the same date back in 2016. And it's double the 10% five-year average for the date. New crop November soybeans extended higher on Friday, extending higher on this Monday. We still see resistance right around 874 and three quarters on the November contract. We've been hovering near that level in early trade on this Monday. Weaker grain markets seen in the overnight session. The harvest expected to resume by the end of the week. The extended forecast looking to improve substantially in the U.S. and Canada by midweek. December corn hovering near 372 in the overnight session. We are firm early on this Monday. An hour in, December corn, 374.5, up a fraction of a cent. An initial bullish corn target lies at 382.5. We're a fraction higher in Chicago wheat, penny or two lower, Minneapolis spring wheat and Kansas City early on this Monday. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, 25 cents on either side of steady, 30 to 47 cents lower in feeder cattle, Lean hog futures, $1.17 to $2.42 higher. The Dow down 53, crude oil down 35. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Our next guest, well, let me just say I would love to have his frequent flyer miles. This guy is all over the world. Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, just back from Asia. Tom, thanks for being with us. Mike, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you those trick and fire miles if I can give, also give you this jet lag I'm dealing with right now. So, <laughs> No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I can imagine you, you, you deal with that quite often as you go around the world. Uh, tell us about your trip to Asia. Uh, well, you know, again, Mike, thanks. Uh, 
our Asia trip was to really focus with all of our Asian directors, the folks who uh, sort of represent U.S. Uh, corn producers, feed grain producers, you know, 365, uh, 24-7. It was focusing on uh, a lot of our strategies upcoming for the year, mainly on ethanol, but also on, on, on coarse grains, on, on, on where we see the market opportunities, and really fine-tuning strategies. It's a key part of our market development process, our marketing planning process, uh, making sure we're in sync strategically with all our Asian offices. Well, you're going to have uh, you're you're part of uh, along with the Renewable Fuels Association and Growth Energy, your big um, export exchange that'll be held in Minneapolis next week. Yeah, Mike, we're really excited about that. It's sort of our highlight event, uh, really, where we bring buyers from all over the world, way over 200 buyers. We have a very aggressive group coming here uh, the export exchange this time around. We put buyers and sellers together where the business gets done. There's always a little bit of a of a buzz around surrounding these rooms as there's a lot of deal making going on. Um, for us, this is the really what why we do what we do is again culminate our activities, getting these buyers in the United States, getting them together in Minneapolis, but also uh, going out to the harvest, uh, seeing what the harvest is doing in the states. Uh, it's a great activity for us, and we're hoping to see a lot of business done. What is your uh, impression, uh, your initial reaction to the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement? Well, it's, it's great, really. It's, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, uh, you know, for us, uh, the goals that we had, you know, we, we had a uh, you know, sheet of goals that we submitted to the administration, uh, what we'd like to see in the, uh, in the new agreement. And I, you know, when we checked our list here after the, the final agreement, we got 95% of what we asked for. Uh, in that agreement. So, yeah, I mean, we're really pleased. Uh, the essential element, which was uh, do no harm uh, to coarse grain exports, that was certainly uh, certainly done. Um, and so we're really pleased that we're able to you know, resume business as usual uh, with our partners, our key partners in Mexico and Canada as well. Talking with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. What do your people in China tell you about that situation? Yeah, Mike, that's a, that's a tougher one. Uh, you know, there's a tension there. Um, there's a, also a willingness to, to talk. I think there are you know, sort of both things going on. There is a tension underlying uh, our relationship with China right now. Uh, our staff there says it's, uh, you know, they see some of these things uh, erupting that nothing horrible, but, uh, you know, postponing of activities and postponing of appointments, that sort of thing is happening. Uh, there's still a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the potential that we have there in that marketplace and the fact that how do we sustain, you know, that, that you know, talks about where we can go in the future while we sort about what needs to be going on here in the present. So I think there's a lot of hope that the uh, we'll start to have, a, you know, people talking together. There's a lot of hope about perhaps discussions surrounding the G20 meeting coming up uh, at the end of November. Um, you know, not a lot of, uh, you know, optimism, but, again, I sort of uh, hope that things start to get better. That's the main uh, sense we get from our folks in China. One of the big concerns uh, with this situation with China, not only the short-term impact, but what long-term damage could be done. As someone who uh, heads up an organization that works on developing relationships and uh, that takes a long, long time, are you concerned that the hard work that's been done gets undone, and you, it'll take years to repair the damage. Well, yes and no, Mike, because I think a lot of the people that we talk about 
you know, have talked to for years in terms of uh, think tank type people, uh, economists, people like that, other officials. A lot of the things that the changes that the U.S. Uh, is hoping for in the, in the Chinese economy, these people have been hoping for as well. You know, more reform-minded uh, folks uh, want to see some changes in how China relates to the rest of the world, how China uh, looks at its supply and demand uh, situation and, and turns to international uh, you know, trade to help, uh, help improve things. So there is an element of that, that you know, some of these reforms – actually have been have been asked for internally and so yes that's there i think that uh, we're not at a point where we're 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 having serious problems i think we're still talking to the people we need to talk to particularly in the ministry of agriculture and rural development as well as um uh particularly the energy folks uh, there's still good conversation going on there but again there's a little bit of tension in the air and uh, hopefully things don't get worse uh, in terms of the, uh, the actual relationships, and maybe they can have some talks that'll start to put a more positive air into the into the climate. So now the talk is okay. We need to make sure we find these other markets. Not that you weren't trying before, but more we now highlight the importance of having other markets that could offset loss of a market like China. Well, China is such a big market; it takes a lot of other markets to offset the, that loss. If it's that way. Uh, what can you tell us about the, some of these other developing markets? Well, I think that you know we've had the <laughs> I don't know the the bonus or whatever of, of trying to find these alternative markets since basically 2010, when uh, products that we represent uh, you know came into a policy policy problems. But if you look at alternative markets, yeah, I think you know especially when I was out in Asia, you see uh, the excitement going on in places like Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Vietnam. Uh, the Philippines, so really, really encouraging. South Asia, uh, India, uh, Sri Lanka, of all places, looks very promising. Uh, Myanmar, uh, Bangladesh, uh, Pakistan, all these places, uh, you know, really starting to look much, much more encouraging for us. And even when you start to look at, uh, you know, our core markets, uh, say Mexico and South America, Again, we have a really strong uh, basis there. We've got the USMCA uh, now on our side to help build on those marketplaces. So there's still, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of development all around the world. We haven't even started to talk about the Middle East or Africa. There's still a lot of places around the world that are strong pluses for us. And I'm really, really uh, interested, particularly in the countries of Southeast Asia, where we might be talking free trade agreements. Well, there's also, of course, a lot of, hope that we'll get something worked out with Japan. What kind of a market would that be for feed grains? Uh, you know, J- Japan, I think for us, it's a similar to a case to NAFTA in that we you know, want to do no harm. For, for corn, you know, obviously it's been a great market for years and years and years. It's the number two market for corn. Uh, I think there's a lot of prospects that will stay that way. I think there's some elements, though. Clearly, uh, you know, the, the meat access is something we certainly support. Getting uh, you know a leveler playing field there for meat, but also taking a look at uh, the whole energy sector. Uh, again, we're making lots of great progress with uh, getting U.S. Uh, corn ethanol uh, accepted into Japan. There's still a few barriers, of policy barriers, that we need to break down. They're not very big, uh, and I think that you know engaging with Japan on talks um, and their trading goods agreement, I think, can have a lot of good prospects for us. Do no harm to but core corn uh, exports, but also look at this at this biofuel sector for something that 
we can sort of reinvent ourselves in that very, very good marketplace for us. Yeah, let's talk more about that because that's been a bright spot for ethanol, the ethanol industry, the exports, although uh, slowed by the problems with China. But uh, we've heard this before, that there are some great opportunities around the world to export our ethanol. Yeah, you know, one of the things we talked about, Mike, was the fact that, you know, with uh, the strengthening of the dollar and with uh, some of the recent strengthening in the price of oil, you forget you can almost forget about the air pollution uh, benefits uh, price wise we can compete and offer countries such as indonesia india uh places like sri lanka uh, an opportunity to save on vital uh foreign exchange by you know, by increasing their purchases of ethanol just compared to the price of oil and so i think there's a lot of good prospects there we think indonesia can be a game changer in, uh, in in Asia for ethanol, we've got a huge pro- a huge policy barrier there that we need to break down. We're making progress in um, Japan. I think Korea, with a few uh, uh, small changes here and there, we can we can see some real progress. So um, you know we're we're really looking at that that sector in Asia, but not to say nothing about continuing our our export market developments in Mexico and, and Brazil. Uh, very, very, very encouraging. Uh, you know, again, we set a record this year for ethanol exports, um, proving on last year's record. So um, we've got some good prospects there. We need to really develop those markets. That's an interesting point, though. We think a lot of those countries looking at it primarily from a, a, a clean air uh, benefit, which is still there. But there, you're pointing out there are other uh, uh, positives there to help us uh, export more to those countries. Yeah. They can they can save on foreign exchange, which is precious in many of these countries. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like the bonus is the is the yeah. air pollution uh, mitigation and 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 uh, environmental benefits. Yeah, they seem more open and and more willing to realize that than some people in our own country sometimes, which which is frustrating. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> Tom, good to talk with you. Get uh, get that body clock uh, readjusted and get ready for your big uh, export exchange in Minneapolis next week. Thanks a lot. Good uh, to talk with you. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Great talking to you. Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk weather. What a challenging harvest this is proving to be for farmers in many parts of the Midwest. Uh, snow, rain, cold weather, a lot of challenges out there really slowing things down for some. Perhaps this week ahead is going to be uh, one of uh, improvement and allow things to get going again. We'll find out when we talk with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. That's coming up next. A look at the weather. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable 
adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. When it comes to powering your diesel equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS outshines all the rest. Diesel X Gold has been reformulated to restore lost power with new detergency that cleans up and prevents sticky internal injector deposits and traditional carbon deposits. So when you need more power to work the fields or drive down the highway, fuel your equipment with Diesel X Gold from FS. Contact your local FS energy specialist today and power your equipment with Diesel X Gold. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem seek answers when there is doubt give hope not tomorrow not in a few years 
but right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, I'm hoping that uh, we still have some fall weather ahead. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson is with us. Bryce, I had this fear that we'd gone from summer right into winter there for a while with snow and cold weather and places already. But uh, tell me there's going to be some good fall harvest weather yet. Well, it's going to be better, Mike, although the uh, the time for the, you know, the real uh, wide open uh, stretch of dry and, and uh, warm conditions is pretty well passed as we get farther into the month of October. But this uh, coming week, actually the next uh, two weeks practically, uh, look to be better. Uh, the upper air pattern over North America has kind of a, a trough ridge trough configuration, and that's a lot different than uh, the ridge or trough ridge that we were looking at uh, basically over the last three weeks. Uh, that led to that uh, big uh, big air mass conflict over the western Corn Belt, uh, helped to generate the heavy rainfall, and it also kept things very mild over the eastern belt for harvest. But uh, with the uh, larger presence of upper-level high pressure over the plains and the western belt here during the next week, that is going to allow things to get drier. It's going to be on the cool side, though. Um, a lot of uh, prevailing wind direction will be out of the northwest. So that's not necessarily just real mild, but it is drier, and that is a big feature. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be some improvement in conditions, no doubt about it. It is going to be slow. It looks like harvest is starting out the slowest in about 10 years, and that's not surprising with what we've had. Well, here in central Illinois, when I look around and see where a lot of the harvest is done, I think farmers here are just breathing a sigh of relief when they're hearing these stories of what's going on in other states uh, with the uh, with the bad weather. So uh, it's either you, you're really far along and done or close to done, or you're just almost getting started. That's about the size of it, and it is a real split uh, in the Mississippi Valley with uh, areas east uh, doing better and then areas in the west, you know, having some uh, tough times. Um, just, for the, just for the sake of comparison, I did ask uh, over the weekend uh, on Twitter how things were um, in terms of, uh, you know, when was the last time it was this slow to begin with. And I figured I would get quite a few responses from the western belt, and indeed I did. And generally it's back to 2009 that the comparison for a slower start comes in for a lot of growers, and that's what they're looking at. It's not quite as bad as nine years ago because back then uh, not only were uh, fields wet and the temperatures were chilly, but uh, the grain was also not very mature. And so there was the uh, problem of a slow harvest with a wet crop, and fortunately that's not the case. Uh, by and large this year. So that is a little bit better scenario than we had nine years ago. Yeah, the concern, not only getting it out, but what kind of quality is it going to be there? What about field losses? Uh, uh, 
uh, folks like in the up in North Dakota have been dealing with snow for quite a while now. Yeah, they have. Uh, this week is going to be better, and uh, so I think that they're going to have uh, better conditions uh, for for some kind of progress. As far as the the amount of loss, uh, boy, that's just uh, that, that's just a real wild guess at this point, and it's going to take uh, you know some time to to uh, get scale tickets and uh, yield reports and everything like that coming in. I do think, Mike, that there is. The prospect, uh, as was uh, indicated by the USDA report last week, that uh, the corn yield is not going to be quite as uh, robust as had been talked about. And I think that's a valid point because there certainly were some issues in a number of areas in the belt this year, and that's starting to be shown up now in the way the numbers came in last week. So a better week this week ahead. What about longer term for the rest of October and into November? Well, I think uh, the, the rest of the month is uh, going to stay on the below normal track on uh, on precipitation. And again, I think that's pretty favorable uh, with the uh, higher likelihood for above average moisture to be over the southern tier of states uh, in Texas and then on east through the southeast. The uh, temperature pattern is still going to be pretty variable. And overall, it's going to be on the cool side over the Midwest. So uh, again, it's just a... Um, a, a slower start or a slower uh, situation, I should say, for harvest progress as we look ahead to the uh, balance of the month. And then uh, the month of November, I think, is going to be quite variable on, on temperatures. I'm going to say near normal in terms of that uh, temperature pattern. And the uh, precipitation is likely to be in the, um, in the uh, near normal bracket as well. So I don't think November, at least at the start, is going to offer... Uh, just a, a real switch in how things are uh, regarding our conditions So when we uh, finish out October and get into November. Meanwhile, again, uh, our thoughts and prayers for the folks in the southeast that uh, got hit by uh, Hurricane Michael. A lot of damage down there. Yes, there was. Uh, the the uh, track of the storm went uh, right through the southeastern cotton belt and, and uh and, and wreck what had been a, a very promising harvest uh, for for the cotton producers in Alabama and Georgia. And then the Carolinas have been now uh, struck with uh, two rounds of uh, very heavy rain out of Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Michael. Uh, the fortunate thing is that uh, the southeast is going to be dry this week uh, with fairly mild temperatures, and so the recovery efforts will be able to proceed but uh, as far as actually being able to completely get things back in, uh, in form, it's going to take months, uh, considering uh, the way that uh, Michael moved through. It was the, the worst uh, destruction in that part of the country, I believe, since the, uh, the ravaged uh, area that uh, got hit by Hurricane Andrew way back in 1992, over 25 years ago. Uh, so Michael uh, was not very wide. It was not very large, but where it hit, it just had all kinds of power. No other major storms brewing? Fortunately, not this week. And, uh, you know, we are getting toward the, uh, you know, the downside or the ending point of the tropical season. Uh, so one would hope that uh, things would be uh, a little bit on the calmer side uh, for the, for, uh, at least the rest of this month anyway, and and uh, we have certainly had our share. I mean, uh, well into the uh, second half of the alphabet as far as those storm names are concerned. Yeah. 
Good to talk with you again, Bryce, and uh, we'll look forward to the better week of weather ahead. Thanks a lot. You're welcome, Mike. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, that's going to do it for today. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. We're going to take a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers tomorrow, among a lot of other things. Hope you'll join us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.